Hello, my name is Jack Elliot Hobbs, and welcome to Unlived Lives, a philosophical YouTube series and podcast in which we explore the lives my guests are not living and why. If you hear any unmotivated sound, it's likely to be my two dogs enjoying life entirely in the present, unaware of any disruption they may be causing. I hope you enjoy listening. My guest in this episode was born in 1961 and, after nearly dying in 1967, (laughs) attended comprehensive school followed by a university where he studied music. After many adventures, he met Anya Kubrick in 1988, to whom he married in 91, with their son Sam being born in 94. During and after his time at university, he conducted choral societies, when he wasn't working at HMV, and proceeded to establish Palace Opera, a theatre production company in partnership with Anya in 1993, a venture they pursued for a decade. He says, I began singing in my late 20s as a baritone, moved to tenor in my mid-30s. I've sung almost all of the heroic tenor roles of Wagner and others too. You spend your time conducting orchestras, arranging scores, composing, writing and singing. Jonathan Finney, uncle, welcome to Unlived Lives. Hello, Neff. Good to have you. Tell me about Palace Opera. Anya and I were both interested in creating opportunities for our own performing selves. And... Because employment is hard to come by, that's the bottom line. I mean, had we had both of us full-time tables of work, it might not have occurred to us quite so soon to do it. Um, But there's many more talented people in every walk of life than there are opportunities to act on that talent. And so we, a bit nervously, but more than anything, just out of ambition, decided to go ahead and we... We, we, so we di- dipped our toes in and you just have to see how people react. Um, react to what people will fairly perceive as the advantages which you might have outside your artistic skills to, um, to independently produce a show, you know, because we, we were backed financially by Anya's dad um, and so I, I was able to do things to a standard which I could not have done before because there was money behind it. I mean, it was that, that simple, you know. Um, and happily, um, the work we did 
uh, was only judged on the work that we did do, and th those reactions were positive enough to encourage us to keep going. You know, and people who uh, who owed us no favors at all were willing to c collaborate, hire uh, us to right? help make it happen. Make make it happen. Uh, and also, you know, we had good crits. Though, uh, you know, but of course, it's only the good crits that are, are, are worthwhile. <laughs> All the bad crits are simply wrong. Um, so yes, we, we did that. I mean, we with with Palisopra, I mean, we were definitely a bit nervous about what people would say. Um, but then I could, I, I had very good practice about that because uh, uh, an ever so humble, comprehensive boy. You know, living in uh, South East London, uh, within the space of a, a just a, a few months, was uh, had uh, definitely got promoted upwards uh, in terms of the prospect of life comfort and life happiness by meeting Anya. And you know, it would be very, it'd be very simple. And I think I would have fallen prey to this to myself, to have uh, thought, well, he did all right, you know. But I, but when I first met Anya, I quizzed myself very hard about why am I doing this, um, and I thought, well, all these advantages which are which are going to come to me are very obvious and undeniable, but also I'm thinking I'm going to be really happy, so that's why I went ahead, <laughs> you know, and I went ahead because Anya wanted to go ahead. I mean. But, this is not Palisop, of course, but sure. our relationship. Yeah, yeah. sure. And um, and so when did you come up with the idea? Um, when did we come up with the idea? Well, we started in 93, so it was probably 92, and we were still living in London at that point. Um, and we... Oh, yeah, when I think about it, we had done a recital tour, the two of us as singers with a pianist, uh, a guy called Richard Black, who's still very much around, fantastically talented man, um, easy to work with. And so we, we, we simply wrote to lots of um, music clubs, basically, who, uh, which is uh, certainly a way to get your uh, experience up and accumulate a, a CV, which is very important. And so we, we did a, a tour of opera aries and duets with piano around the country, maybe about a dozen, and we found we did that because we thought this would be fun. But of course, what we were even unconsciously doing was testing whether or not we could work together in that capacity. Sure. When I think about it, um, and Anya was very, very encouraging of my, my singing and my conducting, and you know, uh, I was conducting choirs and things like that. And so I said, "Hi, my wife," and we, she, you know, I wasn't every time we needed a mezzo soprano. I was wiser than that, <laughs> but um, so we, we we knew that we could musically collaborate together, uh, and she, th you know, and we were relaxed about each other's mutual standards, which is really important. It was never really discussed. I mean, we were both paranoid about how good we were or otherwise, but uh, we were uh, sufficiently supportive of each other that we just pursued it. So we thought we'd do a. We started off at Holland Park in London uh, with our actual productions um, where we we, 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 we were a bit savvy. We did a, 
a, a, a performance of a single act opera coupled with um, an orchestral. The first half was orchestral, which was Vivaldi's Four Seasons, which we knew would get everyone in. And, uh, and, and that worked. Fantastic. And that was the first of... Um, I think we finally did six productions because we would in, initially we did we'd do a production, take a year off, and then do another one, and then we accumulated enough productions that we'd repeat them elsewhere. And one production we did all over the UK for two years running. Yeah. So yes, and then crazily, that production, which is Mozart's Marriage of Figaro, we did it, did at the Edinburgh Fringe, and we performed every day for twelve days which in an opera is barking mad, um, but we did it. <laughs> wow, and so, so successful? Yes, successfully. I mean, we were, um, we're, yes, we did. It was successful. We got four stars out of five in all the reviews, so that was okay. Because nothing actually is perfect, so four stars is good. Yeah, yeah. No, in- incredible. Um, so had you, had you not gone down that route um, and had you not formed Palace Opera or perhaps... Matsanya, where what do you think you would have done instead? What was your path before that happened? Because meeting a partner is, yeah. you know, tends to come out of the blue. Well, I'll I'll I'll, I'll deal with what would what we'd have done had we not done Palace Opera. Um, I would have pursued my music more. I would have continued for a while. Because I was, I did, I did have, I had independent conducting work from from uh, Palace Opera through that period. Um, and it would have continued into some creative realm, which could have actually even meant doing, um, being a professional gardener or something like that. She was very much one for um, retraining and learning how to do things. Uh, um, but uh, but to go back to, I mean I th- I mean much of this talk is is really about forks in the road certainly you know, and my first conscious near adult fork was deciding to go into music, which was when I was about seventeen or eighteen, but then uh, th- that happened as a result of me going on a residential music co- orchestra course as a player, and. Uh, Meeting a lot of like-minded people with like with enthusiasms uh, and interest, and it was away from home, and it was all all rather wonderful at seventeen. And so, hitherto to that, I thought I'd be concentrating on history and politics and going into politics and things like that, mm. with with the certainty of a seventeen-year-old. But I went on this music course and sort of fell in love not with a person but with just the the environment and the group of the people um it was just yeah this felt like the, the, what i the people with whom i wanted to be sure and those people were musicians so i then went to uni and um and i'd i'd already thought that i would want to conduct and so I went to uni but i didn't go to a music college i did a music degree and there was a, a conducting option there in the degree which I took, and there was a big university choir, and I was the, uh, they had a conductor, but they needed a course master trainer to do some of the rehearsals, and I did that, and that was good. Mm. Uh, and then having left there, I I was not really ready for work, 
I'd say. <laughs> uh, uh, but in then, yeah, I, I do one of those useless degrees, music degree, where you end up doing something other than that, like teaching music. It's sure. Um, but I, I thought, well, I'll try and get into conducting as quickly as I can. Uh, I somebody paying me, and that took a couple of years, I think. Uh, I, I carried on having some training with other people out of college. Um, that was cool. was that. A- Challenging process to get into conducting and to be no, no, but well, well, things I though I was young, I did, I, I could claim to have conducted, you know, and that's that's good. Hmm. Um, and I continued training with people who were sort of names. Um, and then you you have to pitch your like old work, you have to pitch your first applications appropriately, and Britain. Even now, I think, has many, many choirs who need conductors. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll go for that. Mm. Um, and, a, and a choir that does concerts, which at least a few times a year will have an orchestra. So I, I did that. And these choirs also often, uh, they have a function and a pleasure in wanting to employ young people to help them on. Um, they often feel that that's a, a good criteria on which to hire people. Sure. Also, all young people are cheaper than other people. Um, and so my first job I got was, was that in 85. Then in 87, I got another conducting job and I got a conducting job conducting the, uh, the youth orchestras in the Bar of Richmond in London. And so I was at that point and not singing, not singing at all except to demonstrate to choirs, what I wanted them to do. And, um, but I, I, in my demonstrations, let me say, I was not limited by technique. <laughs> I always had volume on my side and, um, and conf- confidence. Um, but it, it seemed to work. I mean, is it in terms of talking to choirs, mm. you know, and it, I, I was, I had never, I never had any problem about talking to large groups of people. Uh, I've never been nervous about conducting. Never, never, ever. Uh, but that, or and, that confidence is balanced by a great desire to be very, very well, well prepared. I'd be nervous if I wasn't prepared. I never wing it. Exactly. What, curiously, once I sort of winged it, I was doing Handel's Messiah one weekend with a one choir, and the following weekend I was doing it with another choir. And I didn't look at the score between finishing the first performance and the afternoon rehearsal with the orchestra and I should have done because because I should have just looked at it on that Saturday morning because I wasn't focused it wasn't I didn't know it I just it's just like you know you could be a fantastic runner and you could do a marathon one week well you you can't just start the marathon the next week Mm. so lesson learned I'm not sure that anyone particularly spotted that I was not up to my usual standards but I certainly felt I guess I shouldn't have done that because I just wasn't clicking through it. Um, so all this is 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 pre-Anya. Um, and I because when you're 20, 21, you think 30 is uh, is like being 60. It's too far away, um, and and it also seems far enough away that you think you can safely make a plan that by the time you're 30. I'll be doing this. I, I want to be doing this, and the, this was working f- full time, proper, completely um, 
sufficient wage as a conductor. I'd say I was about half to two-thirds of the way there um, by, by, by the time I was 27, 28. But that lot... Uh, but, you know, and I, had I carried on by myself, I think... Actually, one, one can never know. I know I'd have pursued... It could well have been that I might have pursued it harder, but with absolutely no guarantee of success. I mean, when I met, met, met Anya, we didn't start... I mean, the, the, I was very happy to, as it were, lean on Anya and our mutual support to pursue the singing, which is what started in about 89, back end of 89. Um, but conducting-wise, I just continued playing my own furrow and still auditioning for work for other uh, for uh, other things. But I did actually find I wasn't getting work in the same way. I wasn't, yeah. I had a rush of new work for three years. I just got new work, new work, and then I started to nod. Mm. Um, yeah, and, but I I wasn't particularly perturbed. And then the the idea of uh, working and collaborating with, from 91, my, my wife, that just seemed, well, yeah. Well, and also having so much more control, you know, choosing repertoire, choosing your cast. You know, all those things were just um, terrific and gratifying. And not having to answer to anybody, um, that wasn't... Actually, not having to answer to anybody was not in any way a motivator for doing it, but it was a very happy consequence Certainly. of doing what we do. Because you did have to, I mean, you did have to, you, did, you still had to um, uh, work with people, and even, you know, even people you're employing, you're answerable to them. You know, because you want, you want to, you, if only diplomatically, you want to keep everybody happy and on board. Sure, 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 sure. So that, so. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure to direct yourself into that microphone. Into that microphone. I'm losing you a little bit. Okay. Um, have you ever sabotaged your own success? This hesitation is a, is not about being cons having difficulty with admitting it, but actually just thinking, have I? Can I see that? I don't think I've ever intentionally sabotage my success but i have i have faced the fact that if you're gonna if you prepare to your utmost and it still doesn't work that is scary because if you don't prepare to your utmost then there's a succession of reasons why you didn't get that job why you didn't sing that well um and but i don't give myself that let out I've never contrived to give myself excuses for something not working. So it's always been about preparation. It's all it's preparation. I used to when I was at school, I would prepare, I would prepare for those exams like nothing else, um, because I did. I even then would think I don't have anything to blame myself for. You know, I worked hard enough. Anything else, I at least know that what was within my control to to the limit of my capabilities, mm. I'd done. Mm. I remember I would do 10 hours revision a day 
for my O-levels and A-levels in the Easter holidays. Three in the morning, four in the afternoon, three in the evening. Wow. Yeah. I did two sub... I mean, I was always had, until my finals at university, I always had... Um, history was one of the things I'd study, and, and that's a, a shitload of work to mm. get, get through. But I would just do it because I thought if I start early enough, there's no way... Not that I can't fail, but there's no... Yeah, I've done everything I possibly can. Sure. So it, it was a... I belt and braced. And, and would you say that's your biggest defence against failure? Yes, until such times I think, well, I'm good enough, I, I'm not going to fail in that. And also sometimes you just have to leap. Um, I remember I did a, a concert, I think about 2015, at, um, it, was a, it was a big deal concert, um, and I was singing a role which is horrendous, really, really difficult, just known. I mean, for anyone who cares to think about it, it's from uh, The Meister Sings of Nuremberg, by Wagner, and it's the prize song at the end, sung by the tenor, and I was doing that. Mm. Anyway, if you, there's a piece that everybody knows called Nessun Dorma, uh, you know, which Pavarotti sang at the World Cup and then every tenor now sings. The prize song is Wagner's equivalent of that, and he doesn't just sing it once. I think he sings it three times, and it's the biggest tune in the whole opera, and nothing else is happening except you're seeing that. And everybody knows how it goes. And it's, it can really be utterly knackering. Mm. And you, you, you just stand up there. And it's a weird thing because, first of all, he sings it to his mentor to practice it. So, dramatically, he's the character's practicing it. Right. Then he sings it to his girlfriend. And then he sings it in a competition. And it gets harder and longer each time and more often high. And I thought, and when I, and, and this is a, a very good example in this piece of music of being in the moment, because I can know in these Wagner operas, the four hours time, I'm going to be singing something really, really difficult. And I've been singing for four hours um, or in a show which lasts for four hours. Um, but the in the moment thing is that, however, I'm singing this page now. So don't worry about that page that's coming. But most of all, enjoy this page. One, the audience just wants to, you, you must not create tension in the audience by exhibiting tension. Um, and so one way to do that is really be in the moment when you are, and even two seconds away from a horrendous high note, don't g g give it away. Mm. But also, I was, so I was going to, in this, this big gig, going to be playing through this big aria three times, getting longer, harder, higher. And all these people in these tiered seats looking at the person who's singing this role, which they, they all know and all know the tunes. And I was thinking, well, worrying about it isn't going to help. Um, I'm just going to go for those top notes and smile while I'm doing it, you know, and just because he's supposed to be happy anyhow. Um, <laughs> and just, you know, just, just, just do it. Mm. Just do it. Uh, but, of course, just doing it is based on a huge amount of preparation and practice and desire to get it right. Um, and it did work. And what is very curious, that I'd sung that role before, which is why I felt happy to go and do a professional gig with it. I'd sung it before in a sort of rehearsal weekend. And that worked. And, I, and everybody, I really felt incredibly supported by everybody around me because everyone had really loved the weekend. Everyone had done wonderfully well. Everyone was working really hard. And 
but and then uh, I really felt that people knew that the success of not the entire evening, but you know, this is the big tune. Mm. Everyone wants this to go well. I just really felt that that was being supported by everybody. I felt I was sitting on a, a sofa of support from people. Yet after that, I thought, well, this is an area I, I can really use an audition. So I took it to my teacher and putting it in a being a, in a coaching situation where I was scrutinising it in a different way, which is about how am I doing rather than just doing it, it fell apart. Mm. And I never again took it to have lessons on again because that, that, that sort of scrutiny with that piece didn't help. Um, now, it's curious, this idea of being in the moment and not worrying about the future is the opposite of me as a person. <laughs> right. It, it's, yeah, I do prepare like crazy, but that doesn't give me confidence. Right. Thinking about the future. Well, things I think about the future in order to get it right. Who doesn't? Mm. But it doesn't give me the same degree of confidence in that future as when I'm living in the moment and preparing for the future in a role. Well, mm. and the difference is, of course, a role is only a role, and I can only and I can also just be thinking about um, something which is only an hour in the future because I mustn't oversing or worry or get tense because I've got that to do. You know, it's like running a long, long race. You know, 10 miles in the marathon, you've got to be running at the 24th mile. Mm. And everything is about getting, still doing it at 24 miles. Mm. So when, mm. did you, when did you grasp that philosophy, if you like, of, okay, I've just got to focus on this moment? Well, I think it was, it, it came about not through any conscious well, things, it didn't, I don't think that, I think it, my, my view is based on observation. You know, the, 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 I, I, I did it and then I examined what I did rather than I've got to do this in order to do, to succeed. Right. So the, um, yes, that, 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 that's, that, that's right. You know, I, it wasn't a conscious decision that I, the, I need to do A, B and C for D to happen. Hmm. I've D was happening, and oh, it's because of A, B, and, and C. Right. It, well, and 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 one that you know, and living in the moment can can also just extend the pleasure of those moments. I have in performance sometimes done something. I thought, God, that was really good, <laughs> and then very quickly screwed up the next bit. Yes. So you you can't do that. You shouldn't do that. You if you can find a balance of not not think about how the world's looking at you because that often is a part of the, God, that went well. But just thought, okay, it's just another piece of the the, re, re, the reiterated foundation of why it's going to work in the next minute. Mm. Each minute that works means the next minute will work, um, really. But also because, I mean, performing is a physical pleasure. It's not all retrospective. But enjoy it, but don't think about the fact you've just enjoyed it. Mm. You know, just because you're, when something really works in a, when you're singing or playing, but I'm not a professional player of anything, but when I'm singing, you know, when it really works, I think, you, you, I, I don't think, I just feel it's worked. And that just comes for, well, we'll just carry on doing that then. Mm. <laughs> just, you know, don't mess around with it, just carry on. Mm. Don't, don't tweak it, just carry on doing it. You know. and, and on that, sort of going back to your comprehensive, but also thinking about outside of school, yeah. is there somebody that you could describe that was an important teacher for you to sort of, that, that gave you what you needed to, 
as this foundation that if you didn't have, you perhaps wouldn't have gone forward with? Well, my my dad uh, was kind, patient, and yeah, kind, patient, and and he just felt like a rock, you know. Um, and I'm not. Was he he he's the model for that? I'm not really sure. Um, I mean, when, whenever you, one is an adult and look back on what you thought you'd want to do when you were a child, what that child would want to do as they got older, some of, it, some of it, when you view it, seems to have been just fantasy when you really think about it, because you know that child knew so little, only knew the externals of the things that they were interested in, didn't know that turning something you love into a job is not like doing the thing that you love. It's a job. <laughs> Certainly. And hopefully you can still love it, despite it being the job. Um, I always thought that I wanted to do something... This is curious. I mean, had I not succeeded professionally through either my own skill and or the sport of others, I thought, well, eventually I'll have to become a teacher, you know, like my, like my parents were, like my... my Dad's brother was like my mum's dad was, like my own brother was. You know, be a teacher because you have a certain amount of intelligence and application. There's nobody who can't be a teacher. Yeah, you know, and of the right sort of intelligence. I mean, by that, you know, the appropriate skill set of also caring enough, hmm. or also not having enough skills in other areas. So you might as well teach. <laughs> um, which is not all teachers, of course. I'm just no, talking about sure. me. Yeah. Um, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll end up teaching because, I mean, through my 20s, I was thinking, well, this is all very well, having this amount of income, but eventually I'll need more income. And how am I going to keep body and soul together? Hmm. Because at 20, 30 seems a long, long way away, and at 26, it's much nearer. Um, and I, I, didn't, I didn't know... I, I, I wasn't seeing... A, a, I didn't have a I didn't have a plan for post thirty, um, because I hadn't yet got there. But I thought, well, I, I could always, you know, train to teach, and then I'll have a, I'll, you know, I'll do this for as long as I think it can work. Hmm. So, and it saved me from teaching. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was a big. That was a big catalyst and a big big shift you know i'm meeting on you and oh huge i mean but, it was absolutely huge um but it wasn't it, it, it's interesting it was a step up not it was not a it was not a professional fork in the road it was you know like meeting a good agent in that regard <laughs> you know sure. it, it was definitely you know I, um yeah unlike some princesses i recognized the step up i was getting right <laughs> and respected that sure no you know. sure um mm. in what respects are you still the same person as you were as a child less confident actually i, I would say i mean it, more, more, more anxious, more concerned for the future. Um, I mean, it's curious when I was a child, you know, nearly dying when I was six, seven, um, twice, um, of which I was oblivious, you know, but I was in hospital. Um, 
And I came out of that having lost a third of my body weight and uh, really, uh, I was just elbows and knees, really skinny, really, really, really skinny. So skinny that I would get the piss taken at me at school. And my, and my, <clears throat> my surname being Finney obviously lent itself to Skinny Finney. Um, and that, that, that was difficult. Um, that was difficult. I'm not sure if the difficulties were real. I mean, the thing, having a piss tank army was real. Um, and being aware that people around me knew that I'd been really sick and nothing was really f expected of me, particularly physically. Mm. But I wish that had been more disregarded um, by my parents. And But it's very understandable yeah, that how horrified they were and their, anxi their anxieties for me. Mm. Um, but, I mean, I said I was less more confident than I am now. But, in, but that's a sort of, in some ways, ignorant. I, ignorance is, 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 is great. Mm. You know, and I, yeah, and, and I had my, my pals in the street we lived and all that was just fine, you know. Um, and... Yeah, my, my, my horizons were not very broad. No. Um, I mean, I just went to state school, junior school, senior school. Um, had friends who were, were friends because of, we were just all on the same street or in the same class, which is the, which is the common lot for children. Um, I wonder, was I... There was a certain pessimism and a certain escapism. I don't have the escapism of when I was young. Um, and I think even then, had I understood the concept of escapism, I'd have said, yes, I have it. But all children escape into their own heads about this, that, and the other, you know, and, and fantasize about futures when they actually, they may think they're planning, but they're fantasizing. Yeah. Um, I mean, a, a, a huge thing for me was the fact that it was in my in my teens that I realized I was not as other boys mm. that was that 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 was a, a big thing sure yeah because before Annie there was Charlie and and and, and Charlie wasn't a girl mm. you know um and that was a and 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 I didn't act on my impulses until uni the very end of university, nearly missed my chance with Charlie. Hmm. Um, and that, that was good. It was, for both of us, our first time we were really in love with anybody. It's curious, that that was not a fork in the road. That was me clearing the road and walking on, right. get, getting rid of enough of the crap, which was stopping me in my head and in life, and just pursuing pursuing it. But it was a very... It, I, was, I was still in disguise um, to, to family and most of my friends um, in, in that regard. I mean, so in terms of my non-personal aspirations, the fork in the road was me, uh, becoming infatuated with the idea of music. Right. Uh, I didn't really have... A, 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 there was a, not a fork in the road for about 10 years between 17 and 27 Everything I did from in that period was what I'd hoped would be, actually. Wow. Um, or wanted to be, but thought, well, it's never going to happen. You know, 
Um, I mean, I remember at 17, <laughs> I think everybody must accept the very, very lucky, must think, nobody's ever going to love me. You know, yeah. I'm not, not, not going to get a kiss a girl. And it was kiss a girl, mm. you know, because this was 1970, mid-70s. Um, and I was hoping, you know, that there'll be, there'll be a, a, a girl out there for me, uh, despite the fact I was thinking mainly about boys. Um, yeah. Did it not? It didn't feel like an option. I imagine. Not well, I didn't know how I could possibly square this sure. because I didn't know. I mean, I didn't know enough about what was out there in the world. Mm. I didn't absolutely. I really didn't know. But um, whereas, on the other hand, and you know, we've spoken about this, um, I was uh, the, the the big campaign in the eighties was don't die of ignorance. Happily, in the seventies, my ignorance accidentally protected me. Yeah, because I was a, I was a, a, re, a very repressed person. Uh, yeah, I mean, socially, as it were. Mm. Um, and by the time I met Charlie, we were we were together. So I I, I got through the mid eighties with Charlie, uh, which was really fortunate, and I can certainly say possibly saved my life. I couldn't say probably. You know, so all all that was actually just I was clearing the path, not having a different path from 17 for about 10 years. Um, and actually, the only thing that changed after those 10 years was I was on the same path and uh, and I found somebody else to love. Mm. And, that, and, that, oh, and also somebody else who loved me. Um, and, that, and that was Anya. So still the same route, actually. Mm. Because um, if it's the poster say, love is love... Um, that, Romanticist. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not. I don't. I don't carry those those um posters. Sure. Banners. Um, so it is absolutely true. Love is love. Um, because if you doubt it, it's not love. Mm. So. Wow. So 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 that that was not. A, I mean, what, I mean, talk about the unlived life. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that the my unlived life. It's unlived. Well, it's, <laughs> absolutely, it's always a question. It's, yeah. What would you? Um, is there anything that you feel in your actual life that yeah. you missed out on because you went down this path? What sacrifices did you perhaps make? Um, well, I'm not. I mean, on a uh, there's a maybe people of your generation. This won't be a name, which means very much. But there was a very famous poet called John Betjeman, who was a very academic, but jovial chap, lovely poetry, um, very successful. And he was once, if he had any regrets, and he said, not enough sex. And, <laughs> and but my, my repression really had that consequence for me when I was at university. Oh, Jesus Christ, you know, really. Twat is what I think for myself as then. Um, what was the question? <laughs> Anything that you uh, uh, regret, re re regret not being able not to do because to do. of the path you chose. Um, no, because so much of what I would have wanted in life, I got, and so many things I got in life which I wasn't expecting. Mm. Yeah, and and th 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 these are, are the fripperies of life, like international travel. 
and things like that mm. and 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 going to film premieres and stuff like that. But it's fun. It's just good fun, you know. And I was never, I never took it as something that was, what's the word? I never had a sense of entitlement about it, ever. Um, but I also just thought, well, heck, if, if it wasn't me, it would be somebody else. Mm. So just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. Um, and so I did. And, of course, I was lucky that I was here to enjoy it. But outside of the, you know, the obvious um, glam stuff, the glam stuff doesn't, isn't what keeps you happy. No. You know, you can only enjoy the glam stuff if you're with somebody and or people and uh, and others who who you like being with to enjoy it. Otherwise, it's just an empty nothing. Mm. You know, um, is there anything I feel I haven't done? Um, no, and if there are things I haven't done, it's because I wasn't up to it. I mean, my, I, I mean that the my, I've I've done a lot of singing, but I've I've never really no I haven't cracked the, the professional singing circuit, you know. While at the same time knowing I'm good enough, I absolutely know that. But I don't blame people for not hiring me. <laughs> you know, there's plenty of fish in the sea. Sure, you know. What do you imagine that people say when they gossip about you? Oh, that's interesting. Nicer. Th- Actually, they're very curious. I was in a rehearsal some years back, and uh, uh, a soprano said to me, "You're much nicer than you pretend." <laughs> that's lovely. <laughs> yeah, lovely. Because I, I sort of, I, I do intentionally. And sometimes people don't understand this. And that's my fault because it's a path I've chosen or way of expressing myself where I I mock myself in a way which seems to illustrate that I'm a... I am actually the twat that I'm mocking. Right. You know? Yeah. But, uh, but I'm just... But, but in some ways, it, is it something with shyness or... Yeah, is it, it a defence of some kind? It, it's a bit of a disguise. Yeah. No, I don't. I'm not going to go into details. But sure. there was once um, I read something once where uh, some religious philosophy thing I was reading, and it's talking about the tradition in Judaism where you must you must hide your good deeds even from God. Otherwise, you're trying to um, you're, you're 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 not doing it for the proper reasons. Sure. On the other hand, sure. another. Term I was reading, which was Thomas Jefferson, one of the founders of the American Republic, was writing a letter to his son, and his son was saying, "I'm really bothered. I do these good things, and I feel good about it. So, am I really doing good if I'm feeling good about it?" Mm. And Jefferson's response was, "You feeling good about doing good is God's gift to you for doing good." Okay. Okay. So I think any therapist would say, "Lean on Thomas Jefferson rather than Jewish." Theological propositions. And talking about doing good, what do you feel you've given to the world, or would I, hope to leave behind? I, I, well, nothing. I don't, don't think things. Very little is left behind by anybody. I mean, there's the to love and be loved is really the only route to happiness, and if that is denied 
to you. That is very difficult. I mean, really very hard. Um, and respect and be respected. Um, that's crucial. I mean, I'm completely capable of cutting people off and just absolutely, I can be very, 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 um, I suppose, well, I can be, I can make a decision about people and say I don't see them again, <laughs> you know. Um, and, you know, and I neglect, I neglect people to exactly the same degree as other people neglect me. Sure. Not because I'm, that, that give, might give the wrong idea of what I mean. There's only so much space. There, well, there's only so much space, Time. you know, and I'm, and, if when I complain about people being useless with me, there will be people out there who'll be say useless of he's useless. Sure. Um, but I don't know if that answers your question about what would other people gossip about you. I mean, well, I mean, yeah. in terms of gossip, I mean, unless they know you, the gossip doesn't matter. I mean, if they may know you, but if they don't actually know you, I mean, you could say of me, um, he was a, a gay guy who married for money. Right. You know? <laughs> On the face of it. Well, well, I, well yeah. things, both things are true. Well, I did marry into money mm. and I was a, well, actually, guys, bisexual <laughs> guy uh, who married into money. Now, did I marry for money? No, I was wise enough to know that what I wanted to be was happy. Mm. Mm. And and I just thought, well, let's give it a shot mm. because Annie knew everything. You know, and um, she went in with her eyes wide open. Honesty. Yeah. yeah and so, there. yeah, and, and, and I, I knew that very least she'd be a really good friend. I know, I knew I now had a, another new friend. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, and I think, and I, and there was a lot there to fancy, and she fancied me. So let's see what happens. Sure. You know. Sure. What are the best things that you owe to your parents? Knowing that I was loved, which I know still allows for a huge amount of dissent <laughs> between us, but I did always know that, you know, um, for certain. And I'll say they never, ever said, you should do this, Jonathan. You know, I remember when I was about to do my options to go into the GC, what you call them now, years, GCSE. GCSE. I, I, for some peculiar reason, the headmaster who just been appointed said the only subject you had to do in your options was English. Not English and maths, English. He changed that policy to English and maths the next year. Only two lads in the whole school decided not to do maths. Me and <laughs> one, other, one other guy who incidentally was uh, completely operating as a human being in every possible way and education was thick as two short planks. So the, the fact that Tim, I won't say his surname, Tim ducked out and I did. They took, and, and I was like, the, the headmaster regretted it. He said, why, you, you can't, you can't, you can't talk about maths. And I did. And my parents, and I, and I said to my parents, I want to stop doing this. Maths just makes me absolutely miserable. Hmm. I've looked up in the in the uh, guides to university and if i get the univers at that point if i get the a levels i need i don't need they don't care about the o levels and i said okay you know and that was just an example example of it you know they never said uh, are you sure is this music thing working you know etc etc so they valued your word opinion thoughts well, 
Well, yes. I mean, we all we all talked and got, you know, animated about things. I mean, mum mum was not good at discussing things because she'd start to take it personally if you didn't agree. Um, but and and my mum and and, and I, mum has more recently said, relatively recently said, yeah. Whenever you didn't agree with anything, you always did just go silent. <laughs> well, what choice did you have? Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah, because but, but, you but, knew, you know, if you pursued it, but, but, it would be a personal battle. Yes. But I think my, my it wasn't just silence. It was the silence of disagreement. And sure. It was clear, but I'd not done, I'd not done anything I could be in. It, it was, wasn't an indictable fe- offence because mm. I was just silent. <laughs> Took the whatever amendment it is they say in America, you mm. know. Yes, I mean, and you know, sometimes they gave me financial help. They do dealt me very equally. My brother, he once upon a time was going through some difficulties. They gave him some money, and then it occurred to me that I hadn't had any money, so they gave me the same amount, <laughs> you know. And I didn't even know they helped Simon out. And it wouldn't bother me had they had or not, because mm. he had need. I didn't particularly have need at that point, but they still gave me the money. Um, yeah. I mean, my mother's a very... Actually, both my parents are really very emotional. Um, and But my dad was better at not imposing it on you, accidentally or otherwise. Is there anything you regret not doing due to fear? Well, I said, not enough sex. At university. You know, just... Who'd, who'd want me, mm. you know, and all that sort of stuff. But, uh, but of course, when I look photographs of me, then I think there'll be plenty of people. But, he'd, you know, and if you're lucky enough to have a decent, manageable sense of self-esteem, mm. that obviously really helps you when you're searching out people to share the pleasures with. Um, but that wasn't me. And I think that goes back to being a... Um, when I was very sick in when I in when I was six and seven, uh, there was a, a very big bad famine in, in Africa due to a civil war there, in Biafra, and I was disca- described by my colleagues at school at six and seven as a Biafran, you see. So my physical confidence in my physicality was not great, <laughs> you know, and and. I yeah I could have sort of got over that and and to a degree I did, but um, it it, def, it m- m- must have lodged with me, <laughs> you know I think, yeah. Who or what might have stopped you from realizing your full potential? Only me. Yeah, and um, I mean so I mean. I could also, mainly me, if it had, and to, to, to the degree it has, well, uh, I haven't reached my full potential, uh, and I n- never will, and that's not a problem. When did that become the case? When did you, ha- when did you decide, okay, I'm never going to reach that point? Well, it, it, well, it, well, it's easy because nobody knows what their full potential is, so it's not something to worry about. Right. You know, it's, I mean, it, you know, it, it, it unbelievably 60, um, as of yesterday, was mm-hmm. it? Yesterday. Well, you, you, you do start to think about the amount of time you've got. 
and because you know, the majority of the time is gone, uh, unless there's some weird science things go on in the next couple of decades. Um, and so you do think, well, you start and entering bloody hell, my brother's in my seventh decade. You start to think about what, what, what you know, start having spurious ideas about what did that decade mean? What mm. did that decade mean? You know, I could say, I mean, between 1980 and 1990 was incredibly busy. It's like three decades of stuff going on there when I think about it. Um, yeah, entering university, Charlie in the middle, meet, meeting Anya, and then 30 to 40 was setting up, was being with Anya, uh, was uh, becoming a dad, living in a, a lovely home, having a not just a beautiful house, a lovely home, mm. you know, um, the least problematic decade of my life was between 30 and 40. Absolutely no doubt about it. 40 to 50 was obviously a crock of shit because mm. I only got sick. And um, 50 to 60 is recovering from that a crock of shit. Um, yeah, so, in fact, it would be, I might have a 60 to 70, maybe a nice rerun of 30 to 40. That would be good. I'd like that. If I can have, if that can happen, that would be great. Yeah. What would you, what would you advise, or what would you pass on to fifty-year-olds now about the next ten years? Well, when I was young, and when I look back at the the movies of when I was really young, or you know, newsreels of the sixties, people who look uh, who were fifty then would pass for sixty-five now or seventy. It wasn't just the clothes; it was just because life expectancy was much significantly lower by how much I can't tell you but I remember my grandma she died at 84 and that was thought of incredibly old and my grandpa died at just over 17 and that was just we thought okay he's just over 70 um but people are younger for longer now um in some ways people are infantile in a way when before and now and I've no evidence to believe that I, I don't share that. Um, but if you've got your health, just pretend you're 40 at 50. <laughs> and just carry on as if you're still 40. Do you still feel 40? Yes, basically. I'm amused that I'm 60. Yeah. <laughs> in what way? <laughs> well, I'm amused and a bit arrogant about it because when I was 40, people didn't believe I was 40. Right. In the 50s, they didn't think I was 50. And um, I think, I think they'll, they'll probably think I'm not 60. I, in fact, I know they'll think I'm not. I know they'll not think I'm 60. You know, so, so long as, you know, I, I don't, I'm not, not, I'm not going to, unless with great makeup and fantastic lighting, pass for 40. Though, I, you know, it's, it's an opera singer. You're allowed to get away with all sorts of things. Um, no. I mean, I know I'm blessed with that because my mum and dad, until they... There is a cusp afterward which you pass where your age cannot be, your chronological age cannot be confused with your, by your biological age. Mm. But my parents really fought the good fight until they were 70 plus, you know. I mean, respectively, both handsome and beautiful people. Mm. Um, you know, so, so, yeah, just, it's sort of version of just act the age you want to be, really. But dress appropriately. 
don't dress like a teenager when you're 50. My dearest uncle, yeah. Jonathan Finney, thank you so much for coming on the programme. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this exploration into Jonathan's unlived life, make sure to give this video a thumbs up and subscribe to the YouTube channel for a new episode every Wednesday. Did you gain something from this episode? Let me know in the comments section. I hope you enjoyed listening.